You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. We just looked at what what we wanted to buy, what we wanted to be riding, and and there wasn't really anything that quite hit the mark there. A lot of a lot of the and I think the industry's really improved at this over the years, but at that time, like a lot of the product that was being put out was really what you do was you'd make a brand would make a load of effort on the top top level real racing product which wasn't that relevant to most people and then what they would do is really just kind of knock some features and knock some stuff out of that top level product to make it to a kind of more affordable price point that was peter marshmont this is marnie salop Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Welcome and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I am syncing up with Hunt Wheels and the Rider Firm co-founder, Peter Marshmont, and Patty Brown lead product and commercial manager, Hunt Bike Wheels are cutting edge performance wheels, hand built for all types of cycling, road, gravel, MTB, and more. While they are super dialed and very aero, the prices are much more affordable than world popular brands and still have many similar top quality features. I get a lot of questions about wheels from listeners, so I thought best to go to the experts here. I am riding on Hunt Wheels with Carbon Spokes and really like them. And even though I'm not the fastest cyclist, I still feel major benefits. I invited the team from Hunt Wheels onto the podcast to do a deeper dive and get a look at what it's like as a founder getting into building a business in the cycling world, especially wheels. We talk about aerodynamics and all the bells and whistles across Hunt Wheels, function and design the many businesses under the rider firm umbrella and how Patty and Peter got into cycling and what events are on their bucket list. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. Head over to wherever you listen on Apple, click on the Marnie on the Move podcast, scroll through the episodes, click on leave a review and click on the five stars. Also, you can leave five stars on Spotify and feel free to share this conversation with your friends on social. Take a screenshot of the episode, post it in your stories, on your TikTok, on your LinkedIn, wherever you like to get social. Now, on to my conversation with Peter and Patty. What inspired you to start Hunt Wheels? The company is founded by me and my brother, Tom. So I'd kind of, I'd been out of university for like, three years doing like an interesting in some ways, but yeah. maybe not tr- classically interesting job working in a bank. Um, and uh, back in, I'd, I'd gone back home to the other man where I grew up, which was, um, you know, like nice place to be, but I wanted to get over to the UK again and stuff. And Tom and I had always chatted about kind of how we might be able to do a business together at some point. Um, and he'd worked in the bike industry for a few years at that point. He'd been mm-hmm. through a bike shop and a couple of a couple of bike distributors in the UK. So he had a really good knowledge of kind of some of the product areas that there were opportunities in, um, having worked with a few different brands. Um, and then really, we just we just kind of got to chatting about stuff over over a few months every time we were on the phone together talking about about things. And and actually, the first business we did was not Hunt Wheels. It was a it was it was kind of real like garage business just to start things up. So I kind of moved into we decided we want to start something. So, um, and basically I, I started this first business. I kind of moved into Tom's spare room um, and did it out of his garage to kind of save some money, which was really nice of him. And actually, the first business which I started was um, innertubeshop.com, okay. which was like a real, real simple SEO based um, business. But kind of there's a little bit of the core of that business that's kind of lived through everything that we've done which is just understanding the needs of riders yeah. and just trying to solve problems for people um and what that was was you know we kind of looked at it and 
you know, tubeless wasn't a thing then. So yeah. most people run in tubes and still a lot of people run in tube set, setups now. And, you know, you, you would go and spend in, you know, seven, eight dollars every time you got a puncture to pop a new tube in or you're having yeah. to patch it, which is a really long process and stuff. So um, we wanted to kind of make that easier and simpler for people. Also, the, it's not an easy thing to understand if you, you know, actually, I didn't understand it before I started that business of like, like what size you needed and that yeah. kind of stuff. But yeah, I still would had to like ask somebody what to, what I needed when I, when I got it. So worked all of that stuff out, presented it in a really easy way, made it simple for people, took them through the process of like, this is what you need to look at on your tire and stuff. And yeah. then, right, this is what energy you need. And we're going to ship them to you through the post for, for like, three dollars a tube if in a pack of ten dead simple you can then keep a nice stash of them you're not having to constantly go out and buy one every yeah. time you get a puncture and it saves you money and it was that was a simple thing right. um and after running that for a couple of years um got to know quite a few things about building a website and getting a company formed and doing all that really basic how do you run a business stuff um yeah. which was really helpful to kind of learn on that little small small enterprise and then then got to talking much more seriously with Tom about how can we do something that's going to be have a chance to go a little bit bigger than that, and and that's when we kind of identified wheels as an opportunity and started hunt wheels together as a business, um, and really that was we just looked at what what we wanted to buy, what we wanted to be riding, and and there wasn't really anything that quite hit the mark there. A lot of a lot of the and I think the industry's really improved at this over yeah. the years, but at that time, like a lot of the product that was being put out was really what you do. Was, you'd make a brand would make a load of effort on the top top level real racing product, right? Which wasn't that relevant to most people. And then what they would do is really just kind of knock some features and knock some stuff out of that top level product to make it to a kind of more affordable price point, right? Which meant that really you, they were trying to make a cheap racing wheel rather than going what are you going to use this particular product for and how do we make it the best that it can be for that purpose so we kind of we did um originally a range of four wheels um really and they each had a, a different focus so one was um you know one was a, a race season at that time alloy wheels which was still like as an amateur racer that was still fairly common to be racing alloy wheels now that's probably not very Right. Not very frequent. Most people are racing car wheels, but, um, you know, it was light enough to be competitive. It had an aero profile. Um, it had all the things that you wanted to, to have a light, fast racing wheel that you would ride in, in the summer. And then we also had like a four season aero wheel, which was still a good aero profile, still right. lightweight, but had some features like putting using brass instead of aluminium for the wheel nipples so that you don't get any issues with corrosion, especially if you ride in a place like the UK or a lot of places in the States, um, you know, if you're in, in like the North and the Midwest, like you're getting <laughs> salt on the roads and all yeah. that kind of stuff through winter. So they, that just destroys aluminium. They're also making those changes, putting extra sealing in the bearings, which puts a little bit more drag in the wheel, yeah. but makes that bearing life way better. So making those little changes and putting all those little details in to make it the best that it can be for the purpose that it's for, rather than just trying to make something that's a cheaper version of a, more of a better product and that's what was available um, that was, at the that time. Was the key principle yeah yeah that's 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 what we we kind of did differently rather than that kind of like good better best it was like how do we how what's the, what's it going to be for and then we'll aim for that and then really the price was the price that it came out at we didn't want to make a crazy margin and it was really competitive and we won some really good group tests with that so yeah yeah that was that was that was the focus from the start i think a lot of people like a lot of amateur riders right like they don't know a lot about wheels, but they know a brand. And so they just go for the brand and, you know, then they don't want to use their wheels because they're so expensive or, you know, mm. they're using their wheels and they're nervous something's going to happen or they just buy like really expensive big wheels and it's like they're yes. riding on hills and climbing. And that's like not exactly yeah. the best plan. So I feel like, you know, you were, you were a cyclist at the time when you started this company, like what kind of cycling yes. were you doing and... Uh, yeah, what kind of cycling were you doing? Yeah, um, so so I, I've never been a super serious cyclist. Right. I've certainly, certainly never been a super competitive, uh, and, and in any way competitive cyclist. Um, so I, I kind of started, it was a bit of a family affair. So like, um, as I said, 
my brother, he, he's a little bit older than me. Um, he kind of got into cycling a little bit at school, like with a group of mates and a local bike shop and then got more into it, into uni and came back and worked in a bike shop. And that's when I was kind of just going to university and finishing up. And so I, I kind of started to do a little bit of mountain biking where we had like a, a mountain bike race that was kind of really popular locally to us that was like once a year. And it was, it's kind of a little island, but it's like 40 miles long. Um, and we, the, basically it was a mountain bike race from one end of the island to the other over the mountains in the middle. And it, it got really po- popular. And like it, in that local scene, like it was, it was a thing that everybody wanted to do. So kind of got into riding that like very old cross country style. So sort of 26 inch wheels and very different bikes to what we ride on <laughs> for mountain biking now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and got into got into that and then from there just started riding road bikes and then started riding gravel bikes and then kind of um do quite a lot now of like adventure like bike packing not serious but just like kind of holiday on a bike really but um me and my, me and my wife we really like to do that she she kind of like gets me much more I, I would never be organized or like to like plan that sort of stuff and she's gets really excited about doing some of those trips so it gets me like chivied up to actually like get fit and go and do some of that stuff which I wouldn't do otherwise um so yeah that's that's kind of what my journey through cycling is has kind of been and now I'm back to ride mountain bikes again which is great fun because the bike the bikes are way better than they were and Patty <laughs> what about you like how did you come to connect with Hunt Wheels and get involved with the company and what's your sort of cycling background uh, yeah, so um, I've yeah always grown up riding bikes again. So that's just how I lived in a really rural bit of North Essex and just rode bikes around with my friends. Um, didn't take cycling particularly seriously until I did one really big tour with my friends. So we did a big charity ride for a like really meaningful cause for their family, where we went from London to Edinburgh as like sixteen-year-olds. So we did sort of like. Uh, like 140k a day with a roadmap sellotape together with a highlighted route on it and like our mums had booked airbnbs along the way <laughs> airbnbs and places and friends for us to go and stay and so when i came back from that i just started doing road racing and then really have sort of for the last 10 years raced reasonably seriously in the local scene down here in the south of england and then actually raced for the hunt road team in 2020 in my last year at uni um and then the whole world locked down and so I, doing climbing instructor and mountain biking guide and stuff wasn't going to pay very much in lockdown so uh got a job with hunt as in their customer service department and finished my degree and then graduated and sort of moved across onto the engineering side of the business that's yeah my sort of story to work in yeah, and so maybe talk to me a little bit about the wheels then as well. Like just, you know, when you're developing and building and engineering the wheels, you know, based on your experience and also what you see that is needed in the marketplace, like what are you, I mean, is, it's obviously the same as Peter was just saying, but maybe talk to me more a little bit in depth and, you know, what people, I guess also, you know, what people should think about when they're getting wheels. Yes, I mean, really, it's sort of horses for courses. I say it's really English phrase, maybe that, but just you need the right thing, the right tool to do what you wanted to do. So, every we have a whole range of products that have very like often quite overlapping but unique USPs, and so getting that right balance of weight and aerodynamics in every product and sort of that we really were one of the first companies to push disc brake wheels really wide so we could get much more aerodynamic efficiency and more stability and these sort of things. And so that that's something that we really look to sort of push and that's what a lot of my work is to produce wheels, disc wheels, that keeping them as stable and aerodynamic as possible for a given depth and so we can keep the weight down and so you can get that really nice balance of performance and so I do that sort of sometimes I try and I think about what I'd like to ride and what would be that what would excite me I sometimes try and take that out of it as well I think that I let the data lead and try it like when you've got your engineering hat on and I'm looking at the CFD um, you're trying to produce the most efficient wheel for the depth that we're targeting with this product cycle um and so 
Yes, not necessarily. Yeah, I'd like so I try, uh, try like, and be an engineer. That's are you talking about wheels yeah. for everything, for road, for gravel, for MTB, or just for roads? So predominantly, I'm an aerodynamicist is what I do most of my work on. So that's the largest chunk of my work. Okay. And so typically, yeah, I was, that was almost entirely for road bike. I, yeah. We do do some mountain bike stuff and some gravel stuff, and we do a little bit of structural analysis. Mm-hmm. But that's a, like just a, as Pete was saying, with prov- providing the best wheel set for a given rider's use case, that yeah. if you're looking at sort of the lower end or to your alloy, that fundamentally it's not the right thing for the rider for us to spend a load of R&D budget on that product. Right. That it's something that we'll do if we th- see good, easy wins to design a product, we'll go that way. And if we don't think that it's going to provide enough benefit to the rider, it's not something we'll look to do. Got it. Um, Hunt wheels are definitely more affordable than a lot of other wheels out on the market, but they're all, like I've been riding them and they're equally excellent. So I feel like, you know, you're obviously you're doing a great job. I also, you know, my wheels have carbon spokes. So what's going on with the spokes? Dial me in. Okay. Well, so in the carbon spokes, that's a, that's another, that's a whole, that's a whole Pandora's box there. So fundamentally it's just that historically we've always used steel because it's strong enough to deal with that use case. But Mm -hmm. with the sort of the modern carbon spokes we use, the, the nipples are, the like aluminium ends of the spokes are locked in to the carbon in one molded process, which makes them really strong and much stiffer than a steel spoke. So we can use less of them to get a similar sort of ride quality, but knocking a whole load of weight out of your wheel set. So that's a really good thing where we as a sort of smaller company that can be quite agile and quite quick, that we see these sort of technologies come up and we can put them in a wheel set and get that moving really quickly and get them out to riders. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. The, yeah. yeah. The, the affordability the of our products. Yeah. Is. The basics of the carbon spoke is that each one, a steel spoke weighs about four and a half grams, mm-hmm. depending on how long it is and what particular spec it is. The carbon spoke weighs about two and a half grams. Okay. But it's, but it's one and a half times as strong. <laughs> so it's almost half the weight. It's 50% stronger. Um, so you can get away with, you can, you can build, you, you can't, you can't build quite half, uh, you know, a third of the spokes, but you can, you can knock a few of the spokes out and each spoke weighs less. Yeah. And so you end up with a wheel that's basically quite a lot stronger, quite a lot stiffer and quite a lot lighter than if you use uh, a steel spoke build. And one of the really nice advantages of that technology is, People have been making carbon spoke wheels for quite a long time. Yeah. There's two typical problems with it. They would either um, be all molded together in like like a monocoque construction. So basically the whole um, the whole rim spoke and hub would be kind of all molded into one piece. Okay. So if something which goes means wrong. There's no, yeah. Yeah. There's no way to repair each individual component. Or if it runs out of true, there's no way to, to fix the tension and okay. get that wheel back to true again. Um, and then there have been some ones which were truable, but they were the ends of the spokes, the mountings of the ends were like effectively glued on okay. and it's really hard to okay. get the consistency of strength there. When you use a bonded method, it's very hard to get the, the bond between the aluminium and the, and the, and the carbon consistent enough. Um, cause you've got to really carefully control the process. Whereas the way we do it. It's actually a mechanical fixing between. So the, the carbon fiber piece is wedged into the end fixings. So, you, so it, even if the bond was to fail, that's not going to pull through. Um, and then it's a threaded end and you can true it like you would a normal wheel. So if you need to replace a spoke, you can take a spoke out, put a new right. one in. If you need to true it up again, you can true it up again. If you need to replace a rim, you can still replace the rim. So are all your the wheels that you make have sp- carbon spokes or you are like have options for people? Yeah, so we have options. So so it, it, it's the thing that like, I mean, steel spokes is a really traditional technology. It looks really, really well. Still the <laughs> Obviously, light, yeah. You know, the, the, and, and, the, and, the, and the technology, it's, it's not your run of the mill like steel. It's, it's, it's advanced stainless steels that we get out of a wire that comes from a company in Sweden get sent over to the spoke company that then make those in spokes. And there's a huge amount of technology. And it's been, the big thing with it is it's been, that technology has been worked on 
for like 100 years. Yeah. So it's really refined so that the quality and the consistency that you can get from Steelsbooks is absolutely fantastic. And it's at a really sensible price because there's 100 years of innovation to make that really efficient and really and really consistent. So so that still works for yeah. the vast, like for an awful lot of people. And then it's just if you really want to push what you can achieve in terms of the weight, Mm-hmm. carbon spokes can be worth that extra that extra investment that goes with it okay got it hunt wheels is not your only company which we started talking about in the beginning of this conversation so what are some of the other products that you manufacture under the rider cc umbrella yeah so so i think when we started hunt we always had a vision that it wasn't going to be the only thing we would do because what what like the you know in our company ethos the first thing we do is, is we serve riders and that doesn't mean we only serve riders with wheels. It means that we want to look at how we ride and how the pe- people who use our products ride and go, like, what are the problems they might have? What are the things that they might be looking to achieve? And how can we make other products that will also solve those issues for them or, or be right. better than what's available elsewhere? So um, one of the small brands we do is called Descent 133, which was just a product that we really wanted to have, which um, is like a layered glove system. Okay. So, you know... Anyone who's familiar with like outdoor clothing will be used to like, right, you know, right, I wear a base layer, I wear a mid layer, I wear a, a hard shell waterproof top layer. Um, and then I can switch those around to, depending on the conditions. Whereas like gloves were always like one glove. And then yeah. you had to have like one glove, which was your mitt for racing. And then you'd have another glove, which was a long finger glove for riding on a cold day. And then you'd have another glove, which was a waterproof insulated glove for riding on a wet day. And all of them cost different amounts of money. And like you can't take more than you know, you can take more than one, but it's, you know, your pockets are getting very full with different sets of gloves yeah. if you're going to have different conditions. And so what we did is we just replicated that re- layering system with a base layer, an insulating mid layer, and then a, a rainproof, uh, a waterproof top layer um, and turned that into a little product. And that's only a very small business. It still right. runs. We kind of, we, you know, we, we like it, so we keep it going. It doesn't cost us a lot to keep running it, and, and lots of people still still keep like liking to buy it it's it's a very small part of what we do but yeah. i think that reflects the, the way we think about um about how we serve riders and how we solve problems for people um but yeah the other things that we were started working on in like 2018 was the two bike brands that we do okay um so they're e-bikes so right? one of those yeah. yeah so so one of those is karen which is an e-bike brand karen c-a-i-r-i-n yeah yeah which is like a little I don't know if it's a British thing. <laughs> it's like when you climb to the top of a mountain, you put like a little pile of rocks and like other people climb up and they put another rock on top and it's just to represent you climb, climb the hill. Um, so you form this little uh, uh, cairn of rocks. The, the idea with that is, um, so the first one we did was actually the first kind of e-gravel bike that anyone had made, mm-hmm. um, uh, the e-adventure bike. Um, and that because there was a lot of e-road bikes there's quite a lot of e-mountain bikes and they're like right well for for actually a really practical use like if you've got e-assist you're not as worried about like being crazy efficient on the roads right because you're going to have that motor to help you so like the benefit of having some bigger tires and a bit of tread on there um so you can go and take a slightly different route okay um was really beneficial. So we, we kind of saw it as a bike that you can use to go on adventures, do a really long ride over the weekend, or maybe over an overnight trip at the weekend, but also ride it to work every day. But maybe you ride it to work. Like the, there's a really nice, like, um, off-road rail track, uh, you know, rail trails, I guess you guys might call it like, yeah. um, to work. And that's the, the, the perfect way to go with it with a can is like it's about five miles from the local town into our office and you can shoot along there on the e-gravel bike yeah. arrive in your normal kit um in, in your normal clothes your you normal don't have clothes. to get changed yeah. you know wear special kit because it's only five miles and you and you've got that ear system. so that makes loads and loads of sense for and people. you charge so it and how long does there. it stay charged like do you have to recharge it or so so if you've got a short commute like uh one of the guys did a bit of a test and on the on the eco mode, he managed to ride to work and back for a whole week. Oh wow! On, on that with one charge. Um, if you want to use more assist, or yeah. you're doing longer rides, you know you, you'll you'll get you'll get less range out of it. But it does a pretty good, um, pretty good amount of uh, distance if you if you keep it on the on the eco setting. You can really go for a long time, and 
No, I have an e-bike in, yeah, New, in New York. I have an e-bike and there's yeah. this, like a, a button you can push that's like a boost. I literally, oh, yeah. I try to race city bikes. I wear a helmet. Yeah, I've got, like, I've got I, a friend who has, has one of those. <laughs> And it's great fun. I I couldn't I believe it. it. It's, it's like, it's I, it, it's it's like you get like you go off the lights like a yeah. rocket. It's brilliant. <laughs> and my and people, it looks like an old school French bicycle. So people nice. don't see me coming, and I like <laughs> ride yeah. up. I ride up and down because I'm in Manhattan. I ride up and down the West Side Highway. Like I I go to meetings and I go to appointments like on the e bike. I mean, I love to ride my bike, but. Like, I don't want to be all sweaty and, like, whatever. So I just get on the yes. e-bike and Very I, like, convenient. I like try to race. They have these city bikes in New York, these giant bikes and their e-bikes, and I race them. I have so much fun. I love having an e-bike. It's such a great addition to my bike quiver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 again, we, we looked at what, what, what other bikes are available, and there was yeah. a lot of bikes that were, like, you know, very expensive, like, e-mountain bikes that are kind of, like – really out of the range of like a lot of people yeah and then there was quite a lot of bikes that were focused on people who didn't really ride bikes at all yeah but what i we kind of looked at it was like if there's going to be a transition away from like using cars as much yeah i feel like people who already ride bikes which is the customers that we were able to speak to already because that's where we were with hunt that's right. the marketplace we were in yeah people are already enthusiastic about and passionate about riding bikes should be like the first in the line to try and like, you know, either go from two cars to one car or like try and not have a yeah. car at all. Yeah. And like, if we can make bikes that like meet those needs for those kind of riders, that's a really important thing. So that's, that's kind of what that first one was. And that's where we're looking to go with other that's products the in, that, in that brand as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just try and serve like, you know, it, it wants to be a bike that kind of feels like the bike you would ride already but isn't going to cost you like a crazy amount of money because you know, it's got all of the highest spec components when it's actually really, it's a job. It's a bike that's going to do a job for you, not to be like really luxurious or really it's like, more functional. <laughs> the, the, it's, you know, the coolest yeah, fanciest thing you could, could get. So yeah. And so yeah. now Patty, yeah. are you, are you riding around on any of these e-bikes or are you still like a roadie or on your time trial bike? I'm st I'm still I'm pr I'm fully acoustic for my. Acoustic. He's got e-bikes yeah. in his legs, Marty. He doesn't need it. <laughs> but yeah, I I ride all sorts of bikes. I think yeah, the more yeah. bikes, the more yeah. Last year I raced everything from I raced yeah track, road, cyclocross. Do you have a cross country and enduro? Uh, road, road, and short like road criterions with corners. Oh really? Oh, okay. That's my fa that's the the fun stuff. Bit Do you have any like yeah. tech Bit. tips on cornering? Yeah, run your run your tire pressures much lower. I think because okay. that's the big one that I see a lot of lot of people that get your tire pressures right. And yeah, just try and be as relaxed as possible. Like really build up the confidence that if you can sort of sit in session a corner. Yeah. Just slowly build the speed up on it. Keep your outside foot down and try and just stay as relaxed as you can and just let the bike track. As, like as well as it can but the more input you do in the corner the more you're asking of your tires and so i think yeah go just at your own let pace the bike and just go like don't push go, it yeah. steer yeah. it like just yeah. ease it into the turn yeah exactly i think that would be the that'd be the i think the best tip yeah so i mean in racing in the uk typically road races are from about 70k to about 120 kilometers so so it's not no so it's not it's not like it's not crazy iron man stuff no is it like the tour day, though you're not doing it's... like 22 stages no thank thankfully not that is one race one day sometimes over a weekend with a couple two or three stages but never more than that i mostly thankfully. know about like the world tour racing right yeah like, you know paris roubaix or like <laughs> you know, and the cobbles or the Tour de France yeah. or, you know, all the different rides, but I don't know a ton about UK cycling. No, yeah, it's just small one day stuff. I'd like, I'd love to, I would love, there used to be a lot more stage races than there were, than there are now in the UK. Yeah. But they're just so difficult to run and keep going and people who need to get weeks of work and stuff. It's so it's, yeah. Do you have like a dream, like a dream ride or a dream, like what's your, what's on your bucket list to do? Yeah, I, I would love to do the, it's not really a race, but ride the end-to-end -end in the UK, lands end to John O'Groats. I think okay. that would be a really, 
a really special ride to do. That's a bit of a pilgrimage. Go and ride the length of your home country and go and yeah. Is it go and, and see all of it? It's all kinds of terrain. So what wheels would you use on that voyage? So I mean that's all that's all on road. I think I, there are there are some absolute nutters who do that on gravel <laughs> and. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a, there's a yeah. good gravel route called the DB yeah. Divide, which yeah, but yeah. I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for that, I would choose something like the 48 Limitless, I think. You'd yeah. want something quite aero, because fundamentally that's going to be, you're going to be pushing a lot of air out your way um, yeah. over sort of 1,300 kilometres. And then, um, yeah, stable and reasonably lightweight i think yeah a nice ballot like a good all-rounder i think you're going to see a bit of everything there's a lot of hills in scotland and a lot of headwinds all over the uk i think yeah. and yeah you're going to want a tool for both of them it's always um, something yeah. you know you mentioned tire pressure before and i'm just you know i know this is like i don't know that it's like controversial but there's always like different i don't i don't know there's like always new science or information around it and like you know, 10 years ago, we were, like, pumping our tires to 105, like, yeah. for me, right? Like, 110, yeah, yeah. 105, and now yeah. it's, like, 80. So, like, which is it and why? And, what, like, what are we supposed to be doing? Yeah, well, I mean, it primarily, it, it depends all on what tire you've got on and, like, whatever people feel comfortable with is the best for them, and that is the first thing. Like, if someone's happy, like, I'll never try too hard to dissuade them, but fundamentally lower is much just a much more fun place to be it's lower okay. with wider tires so fun so basically the big rolling resistance losses you have are all to do with the tire either can conform to all the bumps in the road okay where you lose a little bit of energy to the tire wall the sidewall squashing mm -hmm. or it can be too hard and it can skip across the road in which case your whole body weight and system is being lifted up a little bit and then coming back down, yeah. which takes a lot more energy than the tire just conforming and the casing bending a little bit. So right. you want to make sure that your tire pressure is suitably low enough that it can roll over any little bumps and imperfections in the road. Um, and so that is, again, Gee. like probably quite a lot lower than 80 yeah. for you, I would say. So I run... <laughs> I, I'm yeah. I'm 80 kilos, so yeah, like 165 pounds or so, and I run a 28 mil tire at 62 psi wow. on the front and 64 on the rear, and yeah, yeah. yeah a really good starting point is um, plug someone else, but the the yeah. uh, company called Silka, they've got a which I don't know if you know, but um, they they've got a tire pressure calculator on the website, which is. How do you, you have to put spell your email it? in, sign up. But, yeah. Uh, S I L C A. So okay. they're a pump manufacturer, but yeah. um, actually, actually started by a, a guy who used to be the main engineer for Zip Wheels, so okay. he knows stuff about quite a few things. <laughs> so uh, worked in the same world as we work in. Um, but yeah, really, that's a, that's a really good starting point if, yeah. for anybody who's trying to work out like yeah. what what tire pressure should I should I use? It takes it takes a couple of minutes just to put in the information for because it can be quite specific just yeah. to put in the information for the kind of bike that you've got and what kind of riding you're doing right but it generally gives you a really good starting point and you can kind of move from there and play a little bit but if you're not that interested in that and you just want to know what's a pretty decent number yeah that'll give you a good number to no go that's for. a that's good advice because honestly like the roads here are so bumpy and i feel like i'm like riding a horse you know when i'm out there i'm like a mountain biker like standing up on my bike I saw like an Instagram recently of like a triathlete versus cyclist and like the triathlete slows down at the bump and the cyclist like flies right over. So I feel like check for cyclist for me on that one because I go flying over bumps, but I also like stand up on my bike because my first like foray into cycling was like a mountain bike and dirt bike. So back to like the business of cycling. I mean, how hard is it to break into the world of cycling with a totally new wheel company after like there are certain brands that have just been here forever so how do you find your own space and break into that world yeah i think we were quite i think we were quite fortunate or like yeah we we got our timing quite good for when we right. started because i think quite a few things had happened like in terms of um obviously e-commerce had come along a long way like when we, we started in like 
2014, like that was completely established. People were used to buying online. But what had really started to happen behind the scenes was the, uh, the ease with which you could set your own e-commerce site up yeah. had like changed massively in like the five years before that. So had you tried to do, had we tried to do what we did like five or 10 years earlier, I think it would have been a lot harder because you have to have gone through trying to get the traditional distribution channels, get a distributor and get shops to stock it, which that's a, you're doing a lot of work on the road trying to get people bought right. into your product. Whereas if you can get your own website set up and get running and start going direct to consumers, and we work with bike shops as well, but we started our business going through direct to the consumer. Right. Like you get a few, few benefits of it. It's quicker. It's easier. You can like build up your um, customer base much more easily because there's no one in between you and the customer. Right. Um, but you also learn loads like because those first people like still now, but especially like those first people who are using your product are kind of telling you what they want. Right. They're getting the product. They're telling you how they use it. <clears throat> what's good. What, what could be better. Um, and you just compile that straight back into the product development and go really quickly from nothing to like a product that's really beating everything else out there because actually of the benefit, you know, what you can get from the riders who, and especially when, you know, people are just, most people are really good people, really kind and like really passionate about riding their bikes and happy yeah. to share that with you, which has been really fantastic. So I, I would say if, when, I you, when you just absorb yeah. that, it's great. And you can just pull that back into the product and keep making better stuff from it. I think that that is something that is definitely something that like is shared amongst athletes. Like when we find things that we love, like we're super passionate and want to tell everyone about it. So I feel like I'm sure you yeah. get a lot of good feedback on your product. Yeah, yeah. And and we, we just always try and listen. And, like, when we get stuff that's not so good, like, just really dig into it, work out what's happened, and try and, like, build that up. And so as we as we make refinements, we're kind of ticking all of those little things that we can improve each time we do it. Yeah. And I know that I had kind of interrupted you because we were talking about e-bikes and you were talking about Karen Cycles, but you also have another company. Is it Privateer Bikes? Yeah, so so um, that's so that's a mountain bike um, race focused set of bikes. So it really came out like I'm a bit of a mountain biker now, and I was when I first started. But I spent a long time not riding a mountain bike, so I, I'm maybe not the most credible person in the business to yeah. talk about this. Although I'm really enjoying like doing a lot more now and like investing my time and getting better. Um, but we have always had some really like good mountain bikers in the business yeah. who really know their stuff. And we're really passionate about it. And we kind of just through a couple of um, contacts that we made with people in the industry, we kind of had a bike maker and we had um, a designer who we got to know who was going to be able to kind of some of the ideas that we had about what we wanted to make as a bike would be able to kind of help that come together and become a real thing rather, yeah. <laughs> rather than just an idea. And, and really what we wanted to focus on was kind of taking, there was definitely starting to be an understanding that some of the geometry that you could use um, to create a bike that would climb really well, but descend incredibly well yeah. for enduro racing um, by, uh, you know, using a steeper seat tube angle, longer reach, low front end and and you know which is now what most people call progressive modern mountain bike geometry we wanted that was still not hugely available in in bikes and certainly not at a sensible price like it was really hard to get and and, and what we wanted to serve was kind of that like privateer racist there's a lot of people who are kind of racing enduro really seriously they're really serious athletes but they're they're really but they're funding themselves so they might be riding the, some of the enduro World series rounds or they might be riding, or EDR as it is now, um, or they might be riding like top high level, like trans races and enduro races at, on their own. And that's an expensive business if you've not got like team backing. And, and if you can get a bike that's going to be able to hang there with the best bikes in the world, which is what we created with that first Privateer 161, but because we were a bit efficient in terms of, you know, basically the geometry is free. Like yeah. it doesn't cost you anything to, to design good geometry. So if you can use some open mold tubing and you can use um, aluminium instead of carbon and keep 
some of that product development cost down a bit Mm -hmm. and put the stuff in there that really matters and spec it really smartly you can make a bike that's a, a, a world racing level bike but that's maybe like three or four thousand dollars cheaper than what someone what the other bike that somebody might buy right and if you can use that three or four thousand dollars on coaching on physio on on a trainer on trips to get to races like the performance benefit you can get is massive so it was looking at that and how can we support people doing that and that's really what inspired that first generation of privateer bikes and it was really about those privateer races what was the order of things the tubes and the wheels privateer encounter around the same time the the gloves were a little bit before that uh they were they were a couple years earlier so what's next for you guys like and then maybe like patty you can answer to the point of like what do you see coming down the pipeline in terms of aerodynamics and tech on the wheel front yeah i mean we've got some i mean doing bikes is a big job (laughs) that's hard like there's a lot to go into doing bikes and 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 i think we're going to be busy with that for a little while (laughs) i'm just trying to get those those you know established and and you know at the moment we're still real small on that front and to be able to get to the point where you've got the um consistency of supply like you 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 know you're important to your supply partners because you're doing enough volume and stuff that's a bridge we're still trying to push and get across with the bikes yeah um and there's there's so much that we have to do um to keep pushing those on are they d to c or they Um, you get it trying yeah they're they're mostly d to c as well we have again we have a couple of shops that we work with we also like with hunt we've like we've managed to be do a really nice job of getting uh into other territories um and we, we need to do that with bikes as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was one of the biggest things for the business is when we got the the, off, the office set up in Boulder, um, which we did during, we started in March 2020, which was not the ideal time to launch a subsidiary in another country that, that you weren't allowed to travel to for another two years. <laughs> um, as it turned out, we, we thought it would be like three months, <laughs> how little we knew. Um, but yeah, like that was a, uh, but that's gone really, really well. And like, obviously I'm out here now, um, get out here a couple of times a year yeah. um, and being able to like be close to, we, we already sold quite, a, you know, quite well to the US, but that's being great. able to yeah. ship straight out of here. So it's quicker, more efficient yeah. for people. But the biggest thing is having people in our business who are really influential to what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got people in our rider experience team. We've got people in our marketing team. We've got our head of marketing based in the USA. Um, yeah. all put inputting into what we need to be doing in product and how we need to be serving riders coming out of the USA. Mm-hmm. That's been massively important and really beneficial to us. Um, and then, yeah, and then we've got to try and do that in Europe next as well. So that, that'll be the things that we keep. You're focusing on bikes and like building your customer base. Yeah, that, that's one of the big things. But I think wheels is still what you know, 90% of people in the company are working on still what I spent. Yeah. I actually don't really work on the bike side of the business that much, although I, like, I am excited by it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Paddy's probably better to talk about yeah. like maybe some of the things that are coming up on the wheel side. Because yeah. um, he's, he's really led a lot of the product development on some of the really key things that we're going to be working on next. Yeah, so what are you seeing, Paddy, in terms of like aerodynamics and technology and all of those things when it comes to wheels? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I, ju- I would say that aero is for everyone, that everyone goes faster with aerodynamic parts. Yeah. I would yeah. like really push that, that yeah. if you're going 10 miles an hour into a 35 mile an hour headwind, yes, you've got your, the apparent wind speed on your bike is 45 miles an hour. And so that there's a, the, that's a windy day, but you will see these wind conditions. And so everyone benefits. Yes. Like, very, like in a very like tangible ways from yeah. having aerodynamic positions on the bike and in like aerodynamic wheels and so i like there is a real tangible performance benefit for everyone no matter how fast you ride with aerodynamics but i think especially like, what we're seeing now i think is disc brake products starting to reach maturity that yeah. it's been about 10 years of disc brake road product being available for customers to buy and about five years of it being what most new bikes are coming spec with um and yeah. i think we're starting to see like everything being really good, I think yeah. is which I think is a really positive side for customers and consumers that that we're seeing the same in the new stuff we're coming out with. We're sort of trying to like 
match and improve on our old aerodynamic performance while also making that wheel much lighter, making that wheel more stable, handle better. And so we're sort of everything about that product is being leveled up, I think. And that's the sort of that rather than it being where we were five years ago, which we no longer have to consider a rim brake track. Right. We can do things we never could with the wheel, uh, with the rim profile. It's now, we can do that, but we also, like everything else needs to come in to make this the absolute best product and give you the ride of the best performance. And so yeah. I think that's something that we'll see with wheel technology for the next like next product cycle, I think, will be everyone coming out with... Everything is disc. Every, everything is disc, and sadly. I mean, I yeah. say... Yeah, no, I, disc is great. Yeah, disc it is. is. I mean, but, it's um, game changing. And there's a lot of people that love their old bikes. And so, you know, it's not so easy to switch it up always. Um, uh, so they're yeah. still buying. I mean, I don't know if people are still buying wheels for their rim brake bikes, but I feel like. No, yeah. 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 Like in the last. I very much. Years, I mean, yeah. No, so save the rim brake is the big one. Like I, I think we will. There will always be a place for rim brake, and I think that will be something that, if people like their bike, there is absolutely no reason to change that, and that they haven't got worse because there's different things out there. Yeah. Um. I think very much the, the rim brake had been a technology that had been developed for a hundred years, and it's not a bad thing. Um, yeah. There, and there's sort of yeah. great product out there for it, and I think still. It's a very large part of what we sell. Um, it's not something I spend a lot of my time on, but I think it will. Yeah. While there are still riders who want to ride rim brake wheels, we'll be there to provide them. And a good bike should be going, you know, yeah. could be going for 10 or 15 years. There's no reason if it's looked yeah. after, well, not to do that. And we want to be able to keep serving those people with, with product. Some brands them. are no and longer doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so as long as people are wanting it and people are going to come and buy it, we'll, we'll yeah. keep making it. Yeah, and so um, in, and in terms of, um, yeah, and then in terms of, like, the hubs, can you just, like, what do we need to know about hubs? Because I think that's also, like, something if you're not a super cyclist and very tech, like, you don't know about. The first engineering project Paddy did for us was uh, was a uh, hub design, so. yeah. Yeah, spent a lot of time on FEA looking at yeah. different hub shells, changing just changing very small things. Um, Fundamentally, at the moment, road bike we've we've reached a good place yeah. with road bike hubs. That rim brake hubs and disc brake road hubs have there is some standardisation there where they're yeah. both pretty much one size most of the time. Um, yeah. One thing that we all of our hubs are modular, so you can change the end caps on them, and that will let you use the same wheels across different bikes if they do have slightly older standards mm-hmm. uh, which i think is a really positive thing and it does mean that if the standards change into the future hopefully we'll be able to provide adapters that will let you keep using your wheels um but so yeah mountain biking it's yeah there's a whole it, that's is a whole thing uh sadly with hubs oh really where okay. there's not there's a, there's a range of different sizes and spacings that uh, yeah, on our website we've got a really good tree that will help, like decision tree that will help you find out sort of what, what end caps and what adapters you need. Yeah, for, yeah. But fundamentally, yeah. And that, it's, that's so important to like keep that information really easy and really clear and help people. I mean, it's good for the business to mm. like, get it, you know, get people across the line, make it not not make it simple to order. But it's also just good for people like to just remove some, some of those barriers where like as an industry like inadvertently we've created like slightly weird standards slightly different ways of just talking about things that are just yeah. not obvious and like if we can try and just break some of that down and make it easier we want to do it wherever we can yeah because you like yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's it's just it's very interesting just because it's not something that i know a lot about but then i have these options as a cyclist to yeah. get you know, or like yeah. bearings or hubs, like all of that. It's very, yeah. uh, very dialed. Yeah. And I think one of the other things, like in terms of like how I think we're going to keep pushing forward, like as well as like the performance technology of what we're doing, we've always had a real focus on serviceability and like not using like too, like too many proprietary parts, like making like the components that we use simple and easy to get easily available and like 
you know, you for like you can find a steel spoke from a local bike shop, even right. if it's not exactly the same spec that we use, they can find one that'll work or roll, you know, cut it to cut it to length or whatever yeah. you need to. So and the bearings that we use are generally standard bearing sizes, so it's easy to get spares for them. Yeah. We obviously keep a really good stock of spares and make that easily available. We've got the spares in Boulder and in the UK yep. and do all that stuff. But I think there's like a really there's definitely a next level we could get to in terms of how we help people like understand what like a good service life for your wheels is like what what a good service interval is and like what like okay like you've had your wheels for like a year like this is a a job that would be cool to get done if you want to do it yourself here's a video of how to do it if you want to go to a bike shop and get it done that's also cool you can go Mm -hmm. and do that um and like try and 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 even maybe like oh here's some bike shops we recommend in your local area it's it's something that'll take some time to do but i think that's something i like i would be really excited to try and sort of piece by piece build that like how do you live with your wheels and make them perform the best that they can for you not just on the day you get them out of the box but three four five years later and then when a component or the whole wheel needs replacing how do we make that easy to get it recycled or or repurposed or whatever and do that so I think there's a in terms of product innovation there's the the performance innovation but I think there's a whole load of innovation that we can do and we can keep working on on how you just make your it easier and simpler to get the absolute best out of your wheel for the whole time you've got it. Yeah, I mean, I never even thought of that. Like, how do you, like, what do you, what should you be doing? Like, how often should you check in on your wheels? I mean, there's so much wear and tear. Yeah, I didn't yeah, think and that. Yeah, and like some of it is just having a look. You know, yeah. Just, just a visual inspection, make sure there's nothing wrong. Sometimes it's like, you know, you can take the, the free hub body off, clean and re-grease it. Okay. Um, and that's maybe a job that you want to do once a year, depending on how much you ride. But it, but it, there's a lot of work to do into how we do it because it depends on how much you ride, what conditions you ride in, those sorts of things. So how yeah. we we help people through that and make that appropriate. And and I and I and if I tell people to do that, I'd be the biggest hypocrite because I'm like the worst person at maintaining my oh, bike. No, like, it's I fine. just I, I mean... just fit stuff. I'm, I am fit and forget, which is like what we should we should move away from. But I seem to I seem to live seem to get away with it. Okay, so thankfully the. The job that uh, Paddy and the engineering team do like lets me get away with being a bad, bad bike uh, service person. So, what's on your yeah. bucket list? I didn't ask you. What like event or ride um, or something? Yeah. Yeah, like so. I've done a few like really nice trips. So, like as I say, like probably like going out bike packing is like on like bike packing holidays is like yeah, really rewarding. And it kind of keeps you fit on a holiday as well, which otherwise I would just eat loads of food. So, yeah. well, I do eat loads of food when I go bikepacking, but I can do it and still stay fit whilst I do it, which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think the one I keep really thinking about and really wanting to do, um, but it'll probably take a long time out of work to do it, is yeah. to do like the Great Divide Trail. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, I've been out to the Rockies a few times and just see the scenery and it looks absolutely amazing. I'm also just kind of scared of bears though so oh like God. that's the one yeah. thing that I need to like I need to be like properly prepped if we're going to do it yeah I know I was just reading this <laughs> article one, one day like, we'll get outside there. magazine about bears about black bears yeah yeah you've got it you've got to take it seriously so yeah, that's not. that's the that's the that's the one thing apart from the fact that I'm you know making sure I'm fit and I can take a month to do it yeah is uh is um bear prep well this has been this has been super awesome guy all right thanks so much really nice thanks to meet so you so much Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review.